Good morning, church. We are starting a new sermon series in the book of Acts, and this will uh, we're gonna this will uh, take up a big portion of our year, and we're gonna preach something like thirty sermons um, out of Acts over the next uh, fifty-two weeks. Um, we'll start with eleven sermons now, and then we'll come back um, after Easter. Uh, and we're we're going through Acts because Acts is is it shows us the birth of the church. And it's the best picture we have of, of, of what um, God's vision for the church should be. And so, you know, we, our church has been, has, has been undergoing a lot of change in the last five years. It's grown significantly. Um, and in the last year, we hired Tyler. And there's just been a lot of change in the last few months. And so something that we often hear people ask, uh, which is a great question, is what is the mission of CBC. What is the mission of Community Bible Church? And so we, you know, we as elders, we want to just say like this, Acts. What we see here, this is the mission of the church. This is where we take our cue as we let the Bible tell us um, what our mission should be. This is it. And so everything that we see here, it's what we want to see at CBC. So if you're f familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, you know, if you, you know, if, if you, uh, if you sell a field, just make sure you're honest about how much you sold it for. Otherwise, but everything else that we see here, we want to see, we want to see um, happen in the life of our church. So we're, we're jumping in, we're kicking it off today. Um, and so as we look at um, this passage, uh, I'm going to, I want us to look at three things. So first a general, what is the book of Acts? Um, and then we're going to look at the theme of kingdom and the theme of power. Um, because as we look at the book of Acts, those, those two themes are, are going are gonna to be prevalent throughout. Um, all right, so let me jump right in. So what is, what is Acts? Um, let, me, let me ask two, two questions, two subpoints there. Um, so first, like literally, like just what are we reading? What, what is Acts? Who wrote it? What's it for? What does it tell us? So Acts is written by Luke. Um, and Luke wrote two books in the Bible. He wrote the book of Acts. And, and as you can tell from, from the beginning of this passage, he said, in, in the first book, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So that's the, the gospel of according to Luke, right? So, you know, the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So Luke wrote Luke and Luke wrote Acts. Um, and so in, in Luke 1, at the beginning of Luke, he says, He's writing to Theophilus, and he says, look, there's a lot of eyewitnesses. There's people who minister to the word. I'm writing an orderly account of what happened so that you may know the certainty of what you've been taught. So he says, look, my objective, right? Luke's objective in the Gospel of Luke and in Acts is that you can have a historical, orderly account of what happened so you can be certain about these things. So... At the way that Luke goes about writing the gospel, it's the way actually that the other New Testaments went about writing their gospel accounts. The way that Luke writes Acts is history so that you know what happened. And he's drawing on eyewitness sources. Um, and in the book of Acts, actually, the first like half or so, he says they, 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 they. And then at some point he switches to we, uh, which usually mean you know you say they when you mean those people not including me and we means I'm in there right so then I think like Luke's telling him like I was part of this um, so it's it's he's offering certainty and the uh, the other thing we can see here 
Um, so he starts by telling us, right, Jesus was resurrected and he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. And this is, this is a, you know, and this is an important point, right? Luke is telling us, you know, you could, because maybe you could say, okay, why do I need, why do I need an orderly account to know the certainty? Well, Luke is telling us that after Jesus was resurrected, the apostles needed proofs that he was bodily resurrected. Now, this is actually a really important point, because I think, I think sometimes, um, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, um, people can look at the early, the early Christians or the early disciples and think, you know what, they were just dying to believe. You know, or people these days, they're just dying to believe, and they just believe despite the evidence. Um, and so, you know, Jesus showed up and he said, I'm back. And they said, oh, we knew it. We always believed you'd do it. We were rooting for you the whole time. Um, and, and actually that, I mean, if you read the gospel accounts, that's definitely not true. Uh, that's not what it looked like. And, and Luke is right here saying Jesus offered many proofs. And so in, in Luke 24 actually ends the way that Acts 1 starts. And so in Luke 24, he, he tells us, for example, Jesus appeared to them and he said, touch my flesh. Come on, I'm bodily resurrected. He's not just saying like, oh, I, I live on in spirit among you in your hearts. He's saying, no, my body is alive and it's different and it's indestructible now. Come and touch it. And then he says, I'm not a ghost. I'm not like some, I'm not just some spirit. He said, cook some fish. Give me some fish. I want to eat. He says, touch me. He says, feed me. He offers them many proofs. Now you offer many proofs when one is not quite enough. Because here's the thing, the promise of a resurrected Savior is, is not easy to believe. It's not easy to accept. And the apostles, it wasn't easy for them. They needed many proofs. And Luke is telling us right now it wasn't easy to accept. They needed many proofs. And Jesus offered them many proofs. If you are investigating Christianity and you say there's parts of this that I find hard to believe, you're in, you're in good company. That's where Christians have always found themselves. Luke is writing so that you would believe. And he's all, he wants, he's not trying to like twist your arm. He's not trying to like trick you. He shows you historical facts so that you can believe. Jesus offered proofs that his people would believe. Now, I, I don't have time to go into all the details of like why you can trust Luke's account. And I don't have all the details to go into why you can believe that Jesus was resurrected. But if you email me, right, you can, you can look up on the church website or if you type my name into Google, you, you know, you'll find my email. If you email me, I will send you a document explaining why you can trust the Gospels and Acts and why it makes sense to believe in the resurrection. I'll send that to you, I just don't have time now, okay? So, but that's the first, what is Acts? It's an orderly account of what happened so that you may know the certainty of what Christianity is about. Um, second, what is Acts about? Well, you know, we sometimes, you might say, oh, Acts, it's called Acts because it's the Acts of the Apostles, right? It's what the Apostles did, it's the early church. Um, but that, look at what, Luke says, he says, I have dealt in the first book with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Right? Implication, this book is about 
what Jesus continued to do. When we look at Acts, we are looking at the work of Jesus. We're looking, at, in particular, at Jesus working through the Spirit. So one, you know, one of the big things we're going to see is Jesus sends the Holy Spirit. He says today, wait for the Holy Spirit. We're going to see next week, he sends the Holy Spirit. We're going to see continually the Holy Spirit fills the, the, the apostles. We're going to see it's Jesus working through the Holy Spirit. So it's not Jesus did that and now the apostles did this. Jesus began to do that and Jesus continued to work through the apostles. So, you know, one, one commentary says the ascension, Jesus ascending into heaven, what we read today, the ascension marks the end of the work Jesus came to do on earth and the beginning of what he continues to do in and through the church. And this is, this is one great news is, you know, Christianity is not like Jesus did something and now you're on your own. Jesus did something and he continues to do something. And Luke is saying, when you look at Acts, you will see amazing things. We're, and we're going to, I mean, as we pre pre uh, preach through these, we're going to see amazing things. We're going to see the disciples uh, raising people from the dead. We're going to see them healing cripples. We're going to see them doing all sorts of healing. We're going to see them speaking with boldness. And, you know, when their lives are on the line, we're going to see them creating a remarkable um, community of love um, committed to truth and fellowship. Um, like the world had never seen. And Luke is saying, when you see what the early church did, you are looking at the work of Jesus through the Spirit in them. So already, I want, uh, I want to ask us a, a convicting question. Does, does our life look like Jesus' continued work? Right? When, when people look at our lives, do they look and see, that's Jesus at work in them? Or, or do they say, well, those people are nice, or those people are, uh, let's say, immoral, or they try hard, um, or do they look at our lives and say, Jesus is at work there, right? Because, you know, our, our response should be, no, we're not, we're not like especially good people naturally, right? Because that's not, that's not true. We're not especially good people naturally. But we should say, when, when people look and say something's different, the thing that's different is Jesus is at work. And that, that like, the, the, the negative side is that's a convicting question, right? Like, ugh, it doesn't always, it's not always true that our life looks that way. But the, the positive thing is that's the opportunity as a church that we have. If we walk with Jesus, if we obey Jesus, if we have fellowship with his Holy Spirit, then we have the opportunity to show the world Jesus' work in us. And let me, let me give you an example of what that looks like. So in, uh, in 2015, there was a, a church shooting in South Carolina at Emmanuel AME Church. Um, right, This uh, white supremacist walked in. He shot, uh, killed nine people. I think he injured another. Um, and the response of the church was to forgive him. And that is not a response that like our world has a natural category for. Right? People look at forgiving the white supremacist shooter who just who just killed nine people in your congregation. Forgiving that that's Jesus at work in you. 
And friends, that's the opportunity we have as a church. So what is Acts? It's Jesus' continued work through the Spirit. And we're going to see, right, we're going to see Jesus' continued work because something we say all the time is Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. And so when we see the the disciples doing amazing things, Jesus changes everything. And so what we specifically see throughout Acts and what we'll see here is Jesus' kingdom made manifest on earth. When Jesus walked, he proclaimed and brought the kingdom, and and he continues to make manifest the kingdom. And the way he does that is through the power of his spirit. And we'll see in the church that the church is doing what it does because of a power from outside that comes in. There's an outside power that enters in and transforms the apostles and transforms the church. So that's so that's what is Acts. So let's let's jump in now to those two themes, kingdom and power. Uh, and so we see those two themes right here. Um, so that you know the first sort of like uh, first few verses, we we are told after his resurrection, he talked with them. He taught about the kingdom of God. He spoke about the kingdom of God, and then he says. Wait, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, right? So kingdom, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in the in verses 6 and following, it's sort of, you know, the, the, the disciples ask him, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, right? There's the kingdom again. And then he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So again, kingdom and power. So let's let's jump in and let's let's talk about the kingdom. All right, so first. What, what is the kingdom of God? So the kingdom of God, right? It, it's pretty important. Jesus is spending 40 days here after his resurrection talking about the kingdom of God. Um, and uh, I don't have time to go into everything, right? But, but, you know, what I think is interesting is I've got a lot of influences, like spiritual influences, teachers in my life, and, and they sort of run the gamut. They're all over the map. Um, but what's interesting is... I, you know, they kind of, a lot of them, they all agree on, on the same thing, right? So there's this like, you know, Australian reformed evangelical guy, and then there's this like crazy charismatic guy, and they'll both say the theme, the golden thread that holds the Old Testament together, that runs through, that like propels the narrative is the promise of the kingdom of God. And it's the, the sovereign ruling presence of God in heaven and on earth, and we see his kingdom manifest when the when the world is ordered according to God's desires, and the promise of a king that will rule and reign uh, as God desires, right? That's, that's the promise, right? We don't get it. David wasn't good enough. Solomon wasn't good enough, but we we're waiting for a king. And so Jesus, he shows up, and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God, and uh, he says, repent, the kingdom of God is near. And now he's teaching about the kingdom of God. And so here are the apostles. And they know, right? They, they've they read their Bibles. They've read their Old Testament, right? They've grown up and they know the kingdom of God. We're waiting for the king. Jesus, you've just been resurrected. You, you, Rome can't kill you. And so they say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And we could miss it, but, uh, you know, one... One pastor I know, he said, uh, you know, there's at least three theological errors in this question. 
and uh and we could miss it but you know we know based on like what was the expectation of first century jews at the time what were they asking about what were they waiting for well they say lord will you restore the kingdom to israel now um and what are they expecting? Well, first of all, they're saying, will you restore the kingdom? Remember, there was a time when, when David was the king, when Israel was united, when it had peace and prosperity. Will you give us that back? Can we go back to that time that was great? Are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because right now, the Romans are ruling us, and the Romans are terrible, and they're pagans, and you know they don't worship the one true God, the Lord. So are you going to give us back the kingdom? They had in mind a temporal political reality that they were waiting for and so they said jesus are you gonna return the kingdom restore the kingdom to us now is that what you're here to do is it gonna happen so they're like they're the they're the first christian nationalists right they have this this longing for a political kingdom that's what they wanted that's what they were expecting And Jesus, Jesus, what is his response? He says on the timing piece, he's like, uh, it's not for you to know the time. And he also, and then he says, you're going to receive power and you're going to be witnesses. And then he ascends. And it's, it's kind of like, Jesus is essentially saying yes and no. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm establishing the kingdom, but not the way you think. I'm now ascending, and he now sits at the right hand of God. Now, the, the ascension, it doesn't just mean he disappeared. It doesn't just mean he went up. It's significant because now Jesus is sitting in heaven. He is ruling from heaven, from the throne room of God. Jesus is up, and he is commanding his kingdom from there. So, yes, he has established his kingdom reign. You know, like Psalm 110, he is, you know, all of his enemies are a footstool. He has defeated his enemies. He is ruling. So in, in some ways, will he now do it? Yes, by ascending. But will he restore the kingdom ever, to, king, to Israel? Not the way you think. He says, it's not for you to know the time. He's saying, look, the ultimate establishment of the kingdom is to come. We are like the kingdom is now, but it's not yet fully. And it's definitely not an earthly kingdom. He, his response to, ah, oh, you want a, a political temporal kingdom, is he ascends to heaven. He says, look, we don't need an earthly kingdom. You know, what you need is Jesus in heaven. And then you, your job is to be a witness to that kingdom. So the, the apostles have a category error. Right? They were thinking it's a temporal political kingdom, political reality. But we have our own errors too. And for some of us, it may be that. Um, but we are also earthly-minded. and But like the apostles, we're self-centered. right? They said, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And, uh, and Jesus said, look, you need to be witnesses to all the ends of the earth. This is not just a kingdom for you. This is a kingdom for everybody. But we are also self-centered. We think that the kingdom is about us. So we, you know, maybe we say, Lord, will you at this time restore my health to the way that I want it to be? 
Or Lord, will you at this time restore wealth to my savings account, to my 401k, to my retirement account? Right? Or if you're a student, you will say, Lord, will you at this time restore my GPA to the heights it used to reach? Lord, will you at this time restore the, the relationship that I used to have? Lord, will you, will you at this time restore control to my life? Because I feel out of control. We are earthly minded and self-centered. Where do you feel disappointment with God? Do you, do you remember? Do you, where are places where you've asked God, God, are you going to do this for me? And you've been disappointed because your conception of God's kingdom is something for you, something that's primarily about you, and something that's going to happen now. Jesus says, if you've got the wrong conception of the kingdom, you're going to ask me the wrong questions. And, and my response to your, to your questions might look funny. You might be disappointed when I say, are you going to establish the kingdom? And then I, and then I disappear into heaven. And you say, what just happened? Jesus tells us our job is not to restore political power. It's not to restore, receive health, wealth, and, and control. He says, what you need to do is be witnesses. You might say, to what? Right, what are we witnesses to? Well, if you look at if you look at Luke twenty four, basically this he tells us right. So Luke twenty four, the end of Luke, ends the way that it starts here. It sort of fills in some of the details. Jesus says, "Look, I have fulfilled the whole Old Testament." He says, "I have fulfilled the the law, the Torah, the the prophets, and the Psalms." And that was a way the Hebrew a way of referring to all of the Hebrew scriptures. Those were the like three parts. He says, "I fulfilled the Old Testament." I suffered and rose from the dead, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed to all nations. That's what your witness is to, the fulfillment of God's promises, Jesus' suffering and resurrection, and the promise of forgiveness of sin. He says that's what your witness is to. But he says what you need to be witnesses, to do that, is you need power. Why? Because your job as a witness, our job is to manifest God's kingdom. We, we, we use words, but we need more than just our internal power to proclaim those words clearly and with boldness. But we don't just use words. We'll see in, throughout Acts, it's, more than, it's not less than words, but it's more than just words. We need power to manifest God's kingdom. And so that's, that's our next point. Jesus says, wait here, wait here. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So, we talked about the kingdom, so now power. He says, the promise is for power through the Holy Spirit so that we can be witnesses. Now, right away, this gets us into controversial, potentially controversial territory. Because Jesus is saying, talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and, and so, let me start by saying up front, there are many orthodox views. So what that means is there are many perspectives. There are many perspectives Christians can hold of what does this mean? 
what's exactly going on? How does this work? And we can disagree and still hold fellowship. And that means that you, we can have different views and we, we can still worship in the same, in this church, we can still worship. Um, and you don't have to worry like, does that person really believe the Bible? Do they really believe in Jesus? They have a different view. It's okay. Okay, not you know, not to say that every view is okay, but you, we can have different orthodox views on this. Um, but this is going to come up a lot, so I want to I want to start with a working definition, and um, I'm going to just take a definition from John Piper. I'm going to take his definition, and then I'm going to you know sort of fill it out, and we'll see. And um, and I'm and I want I'm telling you up front that it's John Piper because recently I gave a. A sermon and people say, whoa, where do you, where did you get all of that? And I didn't cite my sources and say, well, I'm, I'm drawing on N.T. Wright and Tim Mackey and Ken Fish and putting these together. So I'm just going to tell you John Piper and we're just going to go from there. That's where I'm getting it. So this is Piper's definition. He says, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is when a believer receives extraordinary power for Christ's exalted ministry. It's, it's receiving power for ministry. So this is different from being united to Christ by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so, you know, how can we say that? So in John 20, Jesus, before he's ascended, before right, Jesus appears to the disciples and he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So pre-Pentecost, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And, you know, I think the, the natural implication is Jesus is saying you've received the Holy Spirit. And in 1 John 4, 15, John writes, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. So that's, again, language of you've got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you if you confess that Jesus, if you're a believer. So this is different from being united to Christ. Um, and uh, another reason that we'd say this is different, right, is because when you look through Acts, the disciples are filled multiple times. So we see them filled in chapter two. We see them filled a few chapters later. The same people are filled. We'll say are filled, and so that's that's also important because the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So the word for baptize means to like submerge, right, or to to be washed, right, a baptism. But the other way that people will say they're filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a different image. But both of these images are used. You're 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 washed in the Spirit. You're filled in the Spirit. And when we see this language used, it's for witness, for ministry, for power. So they're receiving power. So it's not, so Jesus doesn't say, wait in Jerusalem until you're born again or converted or put into the body of Christ. Right? So the, I mean, the, the, the apostles are Christians at this point, right? He says, wait until you're clothed with power. Right? He doesn't say you'll, you'll receive membership in the body of Christ when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So he's not saying the, the baptism of the Spirit is an issue of, do you believe or not? You don't, and then you do. He doesn't say you're not in the, in the body, and then you are. He says you shall receive power. So that's, that's what this is about. He's saying, Jesus is saying, wait. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you in a powerful way and is going to equip you for ministry to give you power to be witnesses, right? Witnesses to what? To what Jesus has done. Now, you know, we'll, we're going to see this a lot and we can talk about like 
I had, I, there's a lot of things I haven't gone into, like what happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon you like this? Um, how do you, what, you know, I, and there, we've got lots of opportunities in Acts to talk about this, so we will. Um, but this is the point today. Proclaiming the kingdom requires the work of the Spirit in us. Right? That's what Jesus says. You're going to be my witnesses, right? Wait for the Spirit to come upon you. You're going to be clothed with power. Why? Because what it means to, wit to be a witness to the kingdom is to make manifest the kingdom of God. And so that's, that's why, actually, you know, I, I think when we talk about, you know, the, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that that actually can, can take a lot of, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of ways that that can play out. Um, because what you're doing, what's not what you're doing, what God is doing is he's, he's giving you something that you need to bear witness to his kingdom. And so sometimes God, through the Holy Spirit, puts to death sin in your life in a way that you couldn't before. And that is witness to his kingdom. Right? I mean, and that's perhaps actually one of the best witnesses to God's kingdom is when people look at your life and they say, that's, you're different. What's different? And Jesus says, to manifest the kingdom of God, you need power. And he says, you need power from outside of you. And, and it's not just to be witnesses to the kingdom. For everything in life, the Christian answer is, you need power from outside. You don't need to look inward and find power. You don't look inside and find your inner strength. Looking inward isn't enough in life, right? And, and you know, a lot of people will say, you know, what you need is, is higher self-esteem or, or look inward to find your strength and you can do it. And, um, and I mean, let me, let me, that's not what Christianity says. Christianity says, no, for the problems you really have in life, what you need is power from outside. You need power from outside. Looking inward isn't enough. Look, like, I think, like, by definition, our biggest problems in life are the ones where our we don't have the inner strength to deal with it. And, you know, I know that's my problem. My biggest problems are the ones where, on my own, my like, looking inward is not going to help. It's going to make things worse. I don't say that because I have low self-esteem. I say that because I have a realistic view of myself. And the Bible teaches that because the Bible is not naive. The Bible has a realistic view. Our problems are not, one, are not ones that we just need to look inward. What we need is a power from outside. And Jesus is saying, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit sent to you by Jesus, you receive that power from outside. So that's where I want, to, I want to finish with the question, how can we be witnesses to God's kingdom and not work for ours? Because look, the disciples are here. They've, they've learned from Jesus for three years. They've been ministering with him for three years. He's resurrected. He's the, he's the resurrected Jesus teaching them about the kingdom, right? The best teacher you could have right? Like teaching about the kingdom of God, the resurrected Jesus is as good as it gets, and they still don't get it. And they're, they're Christians, okay? They believe right now, they believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, resurrected. So 
you can be a Christian and still not get what Christianity is about. And if you stay there, you're going to think Christianity is about your kingdom, not God's. And you're not going to be a witness to God's kingdom. You're going to want him to serve yours. So how do we break that? How did the disciples break that? Well, without going too far into next, you know, Jesus says, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. So one thing, the, the Holy Spirit gives us power for ministry. But the, the first thing the Holy Spirit does is it, it, he bears witness. He, the Holy Spirit, bears witness to the work of Christ on our behalf. We look through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power to look at what Jesus did. Look, Jesus is the king ruling from heaven, but he's not just a king who ruled from afar. He's a king who came and did battle. He didn't just send pawns to do his dirty work. He came to earth and he did battle. He went to the cross to forgive us and set us free. When you walk in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the power that Jesus used to serve us, to be a witness to his Father's love, when you obey Jesus, when you walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, what Jesus did for you becomes the controlling reality in your life. And it breaks the self-centeredness because Jesus used his power not to be served, but to serve us. It breaks the self-centeredness and it breaks the earthly mindedness because we taste of God's heavenly kingdom and we see that God's kingdom is better than the little kingdoms we've created for ourselves. If you're a Christian and you're struggling to break out of just being focused on your kingdom, what you need is the power of the Holy Spirit to break sin in your life and to shine the goodness of Jesus and the work of what Jesus has done for you into your life. And if you're not a Christian, you know, and so a lot of this might not make sense, but what I want you to focus on is, do you see the difference having an outside power in your life a, would make for the problems in your life? Because... And it's a power that doesn't come and controls you, but it's a power that came and gave his life for you to forgive you. It's a power that's used to love others, not to serve himself. And that's a power that makes all the difference. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you came and that you suffered and died and rose again for the forgiveness of sins, and we thank you for the promise of the power of the Holy Spirit that we would manifest your kingdom and that we would be able to live lives that exhibit your continued work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.